Welcome to Rect America Live, and this is our first uh, badass interview. And we are having, uh, we're, we're, we're great, uh, we're, uh, we're glad we have Joe Loco, who's agreed to be with us. Joe, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Okay. Well, we're going to jump right in and, and, uh, um, and go after it. Um, so let's start here. Um, can you share with us, uh, we've talked, and I know that you've been in recovery, so can you talk about some of the, the acting out behaviors that, uh, that brought you into recovery? Um, man, okay. Acting out that brought me into recovery. I was, I was sharing with you earlier. I don't know that acting out is what brought me into recovery. Okay. In particular, well, okay, recovery from, from alcohol, that was definitely uh, some behavior. Gosh, but it wasn't the behavior that brought me into the rooms. I say it was grace that brought me into the rooms. Grace meaning pure gift from something greater than myself. I call that thing God today. Um, that's what brought me into the rooms. Does that make any sense? Yeah. Grace. Okay. Now, so what were the things I was doing? Right, that, that you needed grace. Grace for? <laughs> yeah, what did you, what you need to say grace over? <laughs> what were we talking about that? Oh, man. And okay, that's uh, that was 44 years of life that brought me into the room at some point. Okay. 44 years of life. So we got time. So, not all 44 years of life were worthy of the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. Okay. I had. I had good years uh, in my life. Um, my first blackout was at 14. That was my first real big fiasco with alcohol. Uh, my first sips of alcohol began when I was about five or six. I remember going to the fridge and I would go get my dad a beer and I would pop that lid open and it was the old days when you had to peel them off. And right. I, would, I would take that can and I would peel that thing off and I would take a drink of his beer and it would be so cold and bubbly and delicious going down my throat. My whole mouth would taste it, savor it. It's kind of a salty, cold flavor. And I would swirl it in my mouth, drink it, and I would take it over to my dad and give my dad the beer. And I, I remember at an early age just feeling this warm, happy, joyful glow from, from taking one drink of, of beer. Uh, like I said, that turned into my first blackout at 14. Um, Describe that for us. The blackout? What's, what? uh, it was a weekend party. Somebody was having a party at somebody's house out in the country. I would get there. I got there, uh, and I remember my cousins and all of them were drinking. And I don't know what we had, some silly strongman competition weird thing going on. We'd, we'd get there, and everybody would start slamming the, the beer back. And... Um, Man, just from the beginning, I remember just loving the taste, the feel, the excitement that surrounded that event. And I would just, I remember drinking so much. It was a cold front had come through. I drank so much. I passed out somewhere outside. And I remember four guys picking me up, trying to carry me in, and they dropped me. And I remember hitting the sidewalk. And I remember my head turning to the left. And then the next thing you know, uh, I was waking up the next day and they were telling me that I had vomit that had frozen on the side of my face and mm. it was just a nightmare. I didn't remember all of that stuff. I don't right. know how I got from the sidewalk inside 
that was my first blackout. And then uh, almost every time I drank after that, I would I would drink to the point of blacking out. What? what? Until I got good at drinking, and then I wouldn't black out. Okay. <laughs> what 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 were you? Um, Experience like that, um, why didn't you stop? <laughs> Man, there's this, uh, I, I would stop. Okay. I would stop. So if I started on Friday night, I would drink all of Friday night, blackout, pass out, something, and then Saturday morning I'd wake up, shake it off, go through the headaches, get all my aspirin, Tylenol, whatever, get that down me. And then when I would come to, I would stop. And I would say things like, oh man, I ain't gonna do that no more, that's it. I'm done with that crap. And then I don't know what would happen. I'd get a phone call, six or seven <laughs> evening, and somebody would call and say, hey man, you wanna go for a ride? Right. Yeah, come pick me up. They'd pick me up and somebody would have beer, wine, something, whiskey. And we'd start again. Yeah. Um, it was fun. I was having a good time, you know. Why, why stop? stop. Why stop? And I would, those were small intervals of stopping. Mm -hmm. so it wasn't like I started at 14 and stopped at 44. Mm -hmm. There were intervals of non-drinking in there. Mm -hmm. But it was fun. It was fun for the most part. It was a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy getting drunk, high, smashed. Uh, I don't like living inside of boxes. I don't like uh, staying inside the black lines. Right. I like going as far out and just going, just going out to the farthest realms of, of life that I can reach. Mm -hmm. And alcohol gets me there. Mm -hmm. how, did you, how did you fund that back then? I mean, how, how were you? How did I fund it? Yeah, how did you, where does the money come from to, to fund you? Um, I, was, I, was, man, I was cutting grass for people around 10 or 12 years old, I'd go get money. but I wasn't drinking yet. Uh, I think I was working at a little, a little Minimax store. I'd, go, I'd have my little job. I really don't know now that you asked. Okay. I don't know what we did for money. I, would, I had a little job. I wouldn't steal or none of that. Uh, I remember we were having a party one time at a, we were gonna go to the river to, to go drink. That's what we did. I mean, there was gonna be swimming, and we always had these illusions that these hot, sexy girls were going to show up and party with us. And they show up? Never. <laughs> <laughs> Never, man. You know, I laugh. That's, that's part of the, uh, man, in Coors, I don't blame Coors. Coors just happens to be the one I remember. Coors had this crazy commercial with all these beautiful people playing volleyball up on top of a mountain on the snow, playing volleyball in bikinis and taking the Coors out of the snow in the, on the mountain and taking one down. And I had those illusions like, man, if we have some Coors Light, these chicks in bikinis are gonna show up. Mm. And I, yeah, I was dreaming of chicks in bikinis. And, you know, why not? <laughs> they wouldn't show up though. <laughs> uh, so we had this party at the river. I remember, um, I remember trying to calculate in my head, what is the best, what is the biggest bang for the buck? Should we buy cases of canned beer? Should we get a keg of beer? Uh, what was the other, there was other options. It was the keg versus the cases. Uh, I don't remember what the other option, we were doing math like, well these are 12 ounce cans and you can get them for X number of dollars by the case, by the 12 pack, um, by the six pack. 
well, just go ahead and go get a keg and see what's cheaper so we can get more. Mm-hmm. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Well, that was, that was life back then, right? So, so tell me this. Were there any consequences to, you know, your drinking, that, you know, the way that was going on? Any, any DUIs or, you know? Uh, no DUIs. Any, any kind of consequences that you had to, you know? You know, there were consequences, but there were funny consequences at that time in life. Okay. Um, at, the, at the party I blacked out at, mm. I remember I was, I, because I was drunk, I went into the bathroom, and I didn't lock the door, apparently. And I remember sitting on the can, taking a dump. And, the, and one of the pretty girls walked in, and she takes out a camera and starts taking pictures of me on, on the pooper. And then, you know, I just remember kind of looking over thinking, well, that's not right. <laughs> Wow. Couldn't do nothing, man. I was doing, I was doing my do, and uh, next thing you know, man, about seven girls' heads pop in the door and all taking a look at me dumping it. Well, I'm drunk. I didn't move. I just finished doing my business. So I don't know where those pictures are. Are those consequences? I, I don't know, man. The seeds are planted. I don't know what's going to come of that. Um, there was a worse incident at 17. I had gone out to a party. In Houston, no, I'm not from Houston. I'm from a little town with 2,000 people. On a good day, there's 2,000 people. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went to the party. I'm not a whiskey drinker. And I remember I had wild turkey that night. And I remember drinking wild turkey. Well, I drink whiskey like I drink beer, and you can't do that. And of course, I got smashed, and then I got crazy, and I, I was delusional about somebody doing this or that, and I got mad, and I'm, you know what, I'm leaving. I don't even know Houston. So I take off, trying to get back to my little town, and I get caught up in all the freeways, and I'm dead drunk. And I just remember, uh, I, I got, I didn't know where I was going. I got into this parking lot thing. I don't know what it was. By this time, I thought I was, I thought I was sleeping. I thought I was dreaming. Um, so I was driving around in my dream, going in this circular drive, and I remember I would hit a car. My head would go forward. I would turn to the right go a little bit more, hit a car, drop my head, turn to the right, drive some more, hit a car, drop my head, drive, turn, until I couldn't do that anymore because I hit something. And this was all in my dream. And I remember, like, this thing had got my car. Uh, I don't know what got my car. It wouldn't move no more. And I was throwing it in reverse and slamming the gas. Throwing it forward. Trying to rock away from what it was holding me and it wouldn't let go. And then I thought, like, oh shit, I gotta get out of here, man. This is something's wrong. And, I, and so I ran out of the car, and I ran and I ran and ran, and I was in a dream. So I went to this parking lot of a restaurant. I remember the restaurant, a green sign. They're not around anymore. And uh, I started opening up door handles on cars, man, with my hand. I was trying to open the door, trying to open the door. None of them would open, and I remember this big old long white car the door to the driver's side opened up i opened it up and i had just enough energy to fall down inside like this and the last thing i saw was the rear view mirror now this was a dream i just knew i was having a dream so i don't know how many hours later the sun starts to come up and i remember the minute man i can do it for you right now i remember the minute my eyelids opening up and i saw that rear view mirror that I thought was in my dream, and the oh shit moment came on, like, 
Oh, shit. That wasn't an effing dream. <laughs> my car is somewhere. I'm not in my car. Where am I? And I get out and I'm panicking and I don't know what to do. This is before cell phones. And I remember going to a payphone and I must have had some quarters. And I got on the phone and I called my dad. Collect call. <laughs> of course. And it tells dad, I don't know where I'm at. I got smashed last night. I was drunk. I don't know where my car is at. I don't know where I'm at. And I remember my dad saying, well, okay, you're going to be okay. I'm going to come get you. Look around and see if you see any signs. And I look around and he said, what are, what are the names? And I gave him the names of the two crossroads. He said, stay there. I'm going to come get you. And, uh, he, and he told me later he gathered up some of my older brother's friends and they drove to Houston and they came to get me right there. And uh, man, it was, I think it was, oh, after that, I remember being in school on Monday and I was pulling out glass out of my hand and I pulled it out of my face, uh, different places of my body, I was pulling out pieces of glass. So, I don't know, four weeks later, six weeks later, something, maybe even eight weeks later, we got a call that they found my car. Uh, my car was stuck in the fourth floor of a brick building. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So is that a consequence? I don't know. Nothing happened to me. This is, this, <laughs> is that is, this is 17? You're 17-ish. Okay. And from that experience, you, it never, like, your father came and got you, like, someone to get you some help, you know, did no, in, you know. No, the car was, the car was totaled for more than the, that it was valued, so it was a, it was a, a financial windfall for our family at the time. We needed the money, got rid of the car. Somehow it, it turned out to be a good deal. At least that's the story I heard or told myself. But nobody, you know? nobody said, you know, Joe, yet. you need some help. So what, what, no. what, what came next in terms of, and I know we don't have to dwell there, in terms of, again, we're, we're looking at your acting out and, and what brought you to recovery. So let's move forward. What came next in terms of behaviors that eventually brought you into the rooms of recovery? What? Uh, what? Let's move forward. The next time. thing on the <laughs> the next thing on the in my drinking career, <laughs> or drinking, was, or, uh, or is that the only? Uh, that's oh no, my whole sex life was unrolling, you know, unraveling, beginning, but sex was not even on the radar of problems at all. In fact, I, I was a virgin up till 20-something or so. Mm. So, and I had opportunities, and I just didn't want, you know, I was, a, somehow I was a religious guy. I forgot to add really? that. Yeah. Okay. Yep, I had a relationship with Jesus Christ back then. Mm. I loved him, and I thought he loved me. I was born on Christmas Day. I almost got named Jesus. That caused a whole other complex all by itself. Mm. Uh, but it did cause some problems, mental problems of of perfection and of trying to be a savior and wanting to be a hero and it caused some silly issues being born on Jesus' birthday. Mm -hmm. Stuff I'm still dealing with today. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I wonder about that whole thing. Why was I born on his birthday? So uh, the next big thing that happened was I joined the U.S. Air Force uh, and I joined from good motives. This was uh, 18. I, um, I joined the Air Force because I, I was raised up to believe that it was my duty and an honor to serve my country. So I, I joined in for all the right reasons. 
All my buddies were going to college. I graduated real high at the top, not the tip top, but top 10% of my class. I laughed, everybody said, well, how big was your class? I said, 63 people. Big <laughs> 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 it, it is what it is, yeah, I'm still top 10%. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> uh, so I got off into the Air Force, and that was when my drinking career really, really took off. I took it to whole new levels. I was drinking every day then, almost, once I got out of boot camp. Went into radar school. I was I was honors all the time, 99.5, 97.5, always at the, on the on the uh, commander's list, uh, scoring the highest. Loved electronics, loved what I was doing, but I drank like a fish. We had the Airman's Pub. We'd get out of school, go get dressed up, and off to the Airman's Pub. What what I learned later was that I really just didn't have any social skills, and alcohol gave me the illusion that I was being social. Okay. Um, I, I remember walking past this one guy's dorm room and looking into his dorm room and he was studying for college and I remember thinking what a loser we're going to party and get drunk and you're in there studying something must be wrong with you, you. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> crazy right yeah. so the consequence I had in the Air Force was uh, did a lot of drinking but I finally got in trouble I went off base to get to drink and I got dropped off at the gate because the people that I was with, they were in the military too, and they didn't want to come on because they were drunk. We were all drunk. And I got to the security gate, and I remember asking the security guard, could I use the bathroom? And he showed me that it had blue tape annexed over the commode. He said, it's not working. And I remember harassing him, like, come on, man, I just need to piss. Let me in there and piss. He's like, it's, it's out of order. You can't use it. And I argued and argued with him, and he finally had enough with, with me. He said, just get out of here. And I remember saying something like, you fucking asshole. And he said, that's it. Get up against the wall. Mm. You're under arrest. Don't move. And he put me under arrest, called the first shirt. They came to get me. And that was the first time that somebody said, you have a problem. They sent me to, uh, I think it was what looks like AA now. It was some kind of a one or two week rehab thing. And uh, I remember coming out of there. I remember talking to my dad and family and saying, hey, I'm an alcoholic. Y'all are all alcoholics. In fact, the whole generation is alcoholic. Mm. I remember telling my mom, I said, all my cousins on your side, they're alcoholics. They drink like crazy. We have problems. And uh, I think within six months of that, I was right back at it again. Wow. Uh, by that time, I had lost my virginity. I was, I was out drinking. Man, there's a whole big story to that, too. So, Joe, we were at, uh, you were talking 21 and... You're just sharing that you recently have just lost your virginity. So, where, so where we want to go is, um, again, we we're we're looking at behaviors, behavior that brought you finally brought right. finally brought you in to right. recovery. So, um, let's is it you you went there? Is that are we moving to another area of addiction or addictive behavior in terms of? Where you about to go? Um, let's see. So I had said that I had had a relationship with Christ. I was trying to live a life of uh, a purity. I wanted to keep my virginity for marriage. I had those kind of values. Got off into the Air Force. Uh, started drinking heavily. Ended up in the little rehab. Came out of the rehab with an understanding, an intellectual understanding that, okay, I'm alcoholic. It's a genetic problem. It clearly runs throughout all my family, and I have it. And I don't want to drink anymore. And then, like I said, within six months, I'm drunk again. 
I had also uh, lost, I had lost my virginity uh, on one of the tours that we did up in uh, Kansas somewhere. And I remember uh, feeling the intense pressure for some of my peers ridiculing me for my virginity. And also just having my own interior curiosity about what is this one wonderful thing they're all joking about. I remember getting drunk and met a drunk girl and we went back to her place. Lost my virginity. It was a horrible episode. Wow. <laughs> drunk like, sex for your first yeah. time out. Yeah, sounds sucks. Like, sounds like my wedding night. But anyway, go ahead. That's another story. <laughs> it, was not a, it was not a good event. But you know what? It was not a horrible event. And the switch got turned on. Like, you know what? That wasn't good, but I'm going to get good. Mm-hmm. I'm going to try this some more and some more and some more. Mm-hmm. That, I remember that light coming on. So um, I, I think the, the uh, rehab might have happened just after that event, and then me trying to sober up and not being able to stay. And then I remember saying to myself that the, the neon lights, the short skirts, and the alcohol was all I wanted. I traded my Catholicism, my Catholic beliefs, for Ayn Rand objective rationalism, and I became an, uh, a practical atheist, an intellectual practical atheist. Uh-huh. And I lost... Uh, any any belief in some higher power thing, said it's a crock of shit. They're just trying to keep me from having a good time. Mm-hmm. And F all that. I remember fighting with my mom, making my mom cry. Mm-hmm. I remember mm-hmm. she stuck her finger right here in my face and said, you're not my son. I want mm-hmm. my son back. Wow. And I don't remember what mean, ugly, dirty thing I said, but it wasn't nice. Mm-hmm. Uh, I want her to get out of my way. I wanted everybody to get out of my way. Bill Wilson talk, talks about he wanted to prove to the world that he was somebody. I remember that kind of thing, like, I'm out to get my share from here on out. Fuck the world and, and fuck anybody that gets in my way. Mm-hmm. It's on now, you know. I want I want money, sex, power. I want those things like that, you know. Mm-hmm. I want to get high. I want to see everything and do everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I got out of the Air Force early. Wow. Uh, I traded my last year of active duty for two years Air National Guard at Ellington here. Uh, ended up getting a great union job as a chemical operator. I think I was 22. I topped out as a first class operator within a year and I was making, uh, I think back then it was about eighteen fifty an hour. That was back in 89. And then you could get That's all the money. old, I think it was. Yeah. For, I remember my parents would come by and they would find like seven or eight paychecks on the table. I hadn't even taken the time to go cash my checks. So I had, I had money coming out the wazoo. And then I went and bought me a 92 Mustang GT. And I was just an arrogant little prick at the time. Uh, I remember going out to nightclubs and just looking for girls to hook up with and having a good time. Um, I, I got into a few relationships that I thought I wanted to work out but they wouldn't work out, they wouldn't work out. I remember this one girl in high school, I chased her for the all of high school, and she was constantly breaking my heart, you know? And I remember having a few girlfriends around the time I had the Mustang, and it seemed like nobody could be faithful. And I remember telling myself, you know what? Fuck women, they're sorry pieces of crap. All they want is, is money, and then, you know what? All I want is, is sex. So why don't we just cut the bullshit out and I'll just start paying for it. It's faster, simpler, easier. We can get to the point a hell of a lot quicker without all the emotional bull crap. Y'all ain't worth, I talked to women, y'all ain't worth the crap. 
I only want you for one thing, you only want one thing, let's get that on and get everything else out of the way. It's strictly transactional. Yeah, transactional. Right. Well, that didn't work out so good. <laughs> <laughs> that didn't work out so good, man. I was going to say, how that worked out? Uh, <laughs> it didn't work out like I, like I had hoped it would work out. Um, my heart was getting smashed in all of this stuff. And then I remember um, still living an atheistic lifestyle, still not giving a damn about my fellow man other than get out of my way or give me something. Give me something or get out of the way. And then I remember my nephew asked me if I would be his godfather. And it was like, oh, man, I love this kid so much. How do I tell him there is no God? And I couldn't bring myself to do it. He was eight years old. so it wasn't, Most Catholics get baptized as a baby, but he was eight for... Uh, different reasons, divorce and all this in his life. And I remember him asking me to do that, and I could not bring myself to tell him there was no God. I remember the priest asked me, are you, are you going to church? And I said, no. He said, are you willing to start? I said, yes. And so that was another little turning point where I was going to try Jesus again. I was going to try to live a straight life. <laughs> it didn't last very long. I went back out, got drunk again, and on that drunken night, I met my soon-to-be first ex-wife. So she was out drinking and partying. We met, we hooked up. It was love at first drink. Uh, shacked up right away. Um, she had a little girl who, who ended up becoming my stepdaughter, whom I adored. And the fit was right. It was time for me to be husband and dad all together at one time. I was going to show them a, a, a good, happy life, I thought. We were going to go to church and, you know, we were going to receive the Holy Eucharist and God was going to come into our lives and, and heal all of us. And that didn't work out so great either. <laughs> God told me. I'm able to laugh today, but it was not funny throughout the whole time. It was a 13-year fiasco with lots of fun, lots of fun. Trips to San Diego, Los Angeles, Las Vegas. Uh, Toronto, Montreal, Quebec, New York, Florida, Disney World, San Antonio, hundreds of times, it seems like. Camping trips. Uh, my daughter would have sleepovers, and I got to play dad, build a, a tree house for her in the back, built her a swimming pool, bought her a real nice car when she was 17, and I got to play dad for a long time. What happened to that one? Well, it was a, well, you said it was a fiasco, so what happened? That sounds like, that sounds like the life. A dream come true, right? A dream come true, yeah. What happened? How was the fiasco? Oh, man. Were you happy? The fiasco was because of how it ended. Mm. Uh, yeah, there was a lot of happiness in there. There was a lot of good times. We were heavily involved in the church, but uh, we both drank way too much. But we were able to hide it. We had our church life on one side of town, mm. And we would sneak across town an hour away. Houston's big, you can go across town. Mm -hmm. And we'd go party over on the other side of town, get drunk, fight on the way home. That'd be Friday night. Saturday morning, we'd wake up, kiss each other, and say, oh, we're never gonna do that again. Let's stop this stuff. Until Saturday night came around, we'd do it again. And we'd swear it off on Sunday, we'd go to church, we'd get dressed up, act right, try to have a good week and then start again the next weekend. We did that for a long time. And, then, you know, insanity's doing the same thing over and over. That's what we did. Mm -hmm. We don't even, you don't even know you're crazy when you're crazy. Mm -hmm. It feels fun sometimes. There's good times involved in there. 
Um, man, a whole lot by this time was going on. My daughter had gone from eight to 18 or 19, somewhere in there. She had started dating a, a drug addict, alcoholic. Her life was falling apart. Um, I began to have lust for my stepdaughter. I remember, oh, throughout this whole thing, my use of pornography began to creep into my life and get heavier and heavier and heavier. All of that was going on. A whole lot of stuff was moving underneath this, this beautiful facade we were wearing on the outside of us that was crap brewing underneath the surface. Um, I was becoming really uh, frustrated at work. Um, Man, I'm just going to call it like it is on this job. If you weren't a Mason, you didn't get promoted. I'm not a Mason. I didn't, didn't want to join, and that's the way it was. I hate that it was that way, but that's the way it was. I was frustrated with all of that. Uh, you, could, you could know that plant inside and out, but if you didn't belong to the Brotherhood, F you, you were out. You were not going to get that promotion. And it was, it was obvious to everybody, anybody that could see it. I was frustrated with a lot of that kind of stuff. I remember uh, right towards the end, a kid came in with a horrible attitude. And I was supposed to be training this guy, and, and he's telling me, I, I'm good, you go do it. I'm thinking, damn, man, what kind of attitude is this? So I called my foreman on him, and, and the foreman's like, he said he's good, you go do it. I'm like, man, this is fucked up. I got 16 years in the plant, this kid's got you know, fucking 40 days, and, and he's refusing to do what I'm telling him to do. I remember getting so pissed off, I, I told him I, I was having fucking heart palpitations. I said, man, I need to get out of here. I, I can't stay. I ended up quitting that union job, walked away from that pension. And that was the end of that. Uh, there's a whole bunch I'm missing in here, man. There was some bouts with depression over the whole lustful situation with my stepdaughter, the, the conflicting ideas of loving her but lusting after her. And the whole moral thing of knowing this isn't right, but not being able to control these interior urges that were taking place at the time, too, man. And I was just, I was just worn out from the whole thing. I was getting three or four hours of sleep at night. I was working lots of overtime trying to pay for these vacations we were going on. I ended up quitting that job, and we started hitting hard financial times. And I remember it was. Beginning of March 2008, we had got down to the last penny. The credit cards had been ran up. We didn't have any more money. My sister had given us, I think, $1,000. And something my older brother had told me to go do to get into instrumentation work. I had done it. And on the, and on the day that I thought, well, we ain't going to eat today, <laughs> mm. I get a call to go to Corpus Christi. They were going to be paying $38 an hour, $125 a day per diem. 84 hours a week. I forgot what that added up to, but it was a shitload of money. So I went and I started my road life, traveling as an instrument tech, um, making what I thought was pretty good money. But that also kicked off the, the, uh, the pornography in earnest. I was by myself, I had bought a laptop, I could drink, uh, the wife wasn't around, and uh, I just, that, that began a new level of acting out with pornography, drinking a whole bunch, lying to my now ex-wife about what all was going on. Um, she would come into town and I'd be so hungover from the days before. I was trying to act like the good husband, like let's stay home and watch movies and 
right. she could tell something was up. I think she started to have affairs during that time. She would tell me she was going to go drink with her brother or her sister. My daughter would drop hints that that's not what was going on. Really? I remember seeing the bill for some Harley Davidson gear. I don't have a Harley. My wife doesn't have a Harley. You know? Damn. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it's easy to say damn on her, but I had had. Oh, I'm just saying damn. <laughs> Damn on me, damn. damn on us. <laughs> we ain't judging, just, just damn. Just damn. Uh, yeah, uh, I remember, you know, th this whole time the internet is getting better and better and better. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember somewhere in 82, 85, 80, somewhere, no, no, it had to be longer than that because I hired in 80, had been 92 to 95. I remember waiting for porn pictures over the internet. That's when you used to dial in and you'd hear that little... Right, right. And then it would click, it would connect, right. and then I would see an image of a Hooters girl, and, and I would download, and I'd be waiting for that sucker all night to see the, the, the half-assed image the next day, man. Right. Uh, by the time I had gone on the road traveling, that was 2008, somewhere in there, the Internet had come a long way. Yeah. Uh, you could get pretty good live action now. You could press download and you had it right or I think there might have even been live stream stuff and there must have been hookup apps and all of this because I remember uh, I, by this time man my porn had gotten crazy I had gone from just watching what people call normal porn I had got off into the deviant crazy stuff and I remember getting off into the, the homosexual same-sex stuff and enjoying and watching that and getting curiosities about this and that and then the opportunity presented itself in San Antonio I don't remember how I got the hookup, if it was a back page phone number or somebody, I got a hold of some dude that wanted to act out and I remember going to do that and, and it was disappointing too, it wasn't what I thought but there was excitement in the air and I remember something happened that uh, something was biting the lip or something. And I remember coming home to my wife, she was still married to me and that same thing happened while we were making out. I bit her lip or something. And she knew at that instant that I had been with somebody else. And I remember lying to myself that it's a dude, man. That's not cheating. Are you, are you kidding me? Are you crazy? What's wrong with you? And uh, that's when she started her cheating and stuff. That's what kicked that whole thing off. I don't know if that made any sense. Wow. When did you, from there, first... All that happening, when did you realize you needed to get yourself into one of these rooms? <laughs> oh man, let's see, Lord, uh, when? That was 2008-ish. Right. Man, these were, I was not having problems. These were not problems. These were not problems? No. These are not problems. These are just things that are happening uh, beyond it, my control. At, at that time, you're acting out, um, same-sex acting out. I had the one episode, wanted more. I was curious now about what's going on in this world. And, and, and for you at that time, that didn't seem problematic? That no. Okay. Not a problem. The problems were I don't have enough money. I can't get my wife off my back. I can't get my kid to do what I need my kid to do. Uh, society's fucked up. Um, no, I'm not having problems. No, I'm not having... Uh, no, problems that I'm having at this point, 
I don't have enough money, I don't have enough time, and I can't seem to get enough freedom. Those are the problems I'm having. No, the, the porn world was coming alive. I loved that world. That was exciting and good and want more of it. So the wife left. Uh, the stepdaughter kind of stayed around uh, for her own reasons. I was very generous with money. There was, there was nothing, no nonsense, no foolishness anymore. Oh, she'd had two kids whom I loved. They were the last two things that I could relate to the word love. They were the only thing left when I, when I would think of love, those two kids, were, that was it, nothing else. There was no other love. I, I, I liked my daughter, I loved my daughter, but it was not a healthy love. Um, it was a controlling, demanding, uh, do what I say kind of crazy love. And if you act the way I need you to act, then I'll throw money your way. <clears throat> so Her life was falling apart too. Let's move forward. When did you first walk into a room? What year was it when you first walked into recovery? Um, you know, man, I, I didn't walk into recovery. I did walk into recovery, but I had gone to AA online okay. first. I'd gone to see my drinking friend. We'd had a, a soft night of drinking, and I say that jokingly because I remember we were at a strip club and they had dollar beers, and it was last call, and I remember saying, well, you want to get $20 worth of dollar beer? So that's 20 beers that we ordered. Remember the little table was just full of beers on top. So we were kind of set, and this was a light night. I had bought a new car and I didn't want to drive drunk. And uh, I got thrown out of there at 2.15 or so in the morning, told to get out of there and go home. Well, the next day he's thrown to jail. <laughs> so I go see him in jail. And I remember looking through that glass window, man. And uh, he's in this orange suit on that side of the glass and his hair's all scraggly looking. He's got this ugly beard on him. And I looked at him like this, my eyes this big. He's, Today he said, "You look like you saw a ghost." I said, "I don't. I saw, I saw me in there. I, I knew in an instant, like that should be me over there." And then it's like God echoed, "That is going to be you over there." And I left there that night. And stupid me, I'm still thinking, "Well, it's early. I can go. I can go to the Palmas, which is a man brothel whorehouse. I don't like saying whore today, but that's what that's what they call them. It was a." a they sell sex, they're trafficking. I remember still thinking after seeing him in jail, I got time <laughs> to go check this out still. I stopped to take a piss on the side of the road. It was a cloudless night. I could see so many stars. And I remember this thing happening where it says to me, not in voices, it's a, like a feeling of something telling me, say the next time alcohol touches your lip and it meant right there like this, you're gonna kill five people. And I remember thinking, damn, I don't wanna go to jail. I had the, grand, the grandkids and I, I loved them. They'd never seen me drunk. They, I didn't want everybody else in their life had been in jail. I had not, and I didn't want to be in jail. But I knew I didn't know how to stop drinking. I'm still wanting to go to the, the whorehouse. And I remember thinking, you know what? Take your stupid ass home. And I made it home. And I quickly got onto the video games and started playing Black Ops. And I thought, this is what I'm going to do, man. From now on, I'm playing Black Ops. I don't need nobody. I don't need anything. I'm going to go to work, and then I'm going to play video games. I'm going to master this fucking black ops. I'll be a black ops professional. <laughs> How long did that last? <laughs> that didn't work out so good, man. And if the first scene in black ops is a Navy ship going crazy like this and you get all seasick playing the stupid thing. But it kept me occupied. It lasted through the holidays. I made it through Christmas and I made it through New Year's and I did not get drunk. I had found AA online and I remember them saying stupid things to me but they were making kind of some sense. And then on, somewhere in January, my kiddos came to see me. I had a great day with them. 
and I called him the crackhead, the son-in-law. I love him today, and he's a beautiful guy, but he's a crackhead. <laughs> the crackhead of all people says, man, you ought to go get some help. <laughs> and I, where? <laughs> where, man? He said, well, they have meetings over there in, in town. I said, where? Really? He said, yeah, they have them over there. He told me the place. I said, all right, man, thanks. And it was Sunday, and I made it to the doors, and I remember sitting in the parking lot thinking, man, I know that's KKK in there. I know they're just waiting on me, and they're going to grab me, and they're going to choke me, kill me, beat me to death. I just know that's what this is all about, man. This is blank, blank, blank county. There's no good people in that damn room. I know it's a trap. That's what it is, it's a trap. KKK is going to get me. And I, go, and, I, and I still think, well, he said it was good. So I go to the door, and I remember, everybody talks about the, you know, thousand-pound door. You get it open. And I looked in, and whoosh, I got sucked in, man. I went in. I sat back there on the back by a relapse row <laughs> by the door in case I needed to bolt out. And, uh, man, they were sharing. It was a cocaine anonymous meeting. I didn't know what any of that stuff meant. But I remember hearing them, and they sounded like they were talking at me. And some of the shit they were saying was like, Yes, that made sense. I don't know what you just said. That made sense. Mm, I don't know what you said. That made sense. And then a little old man came up after the meeting. I, I exaggerated today, but it's what I felt. I felt like he put me against the wall and started asking me shit. Like, do you have a problem with alcohol? I don't know. Do you? <laughs> I'm defensive, right? And he's uh, asking me if I wanted help. And I'm like, I don't trust him. I'm like, he's up to something. I know they want my money, my mind, or my body, or something in here. They ain't, ain't going to give me something for nothing, right? And he finally got me around to saying something about God, and I'm like, man, I don't want to talk about God. And he said, well, do you think you're God? Or He was pinpointing me. Finally, he got me to admit that he had more power than me in regards to not getting drunk. And I said, yeah, you do. He said, well, do me a favor. Will you call me the next time you want to get drunk? I said, yes, I can do that. And he gave me his number. And that was Sunday, and I started going to, to meetings there. Uh, a big old muscle bodybuilder dude laughed at me and said, uh, did you make 90 days, <laughs> you don't have an opinion. I said, motherfucker, if you weren't so big, I'd get up and beat your ass. But you're pretty big, so <laughs> I'm going to shut up. You know what, fucker, I'm going to show you. I'll make 90 meetings. And so I started the 90 meetings. And uh, Thursday, I needed to go get drunk. I called, my, I called Nick, he was my sponsor. And Nick suggested that I go to Denny's. And I said, fuck, man, they're going to all know I should be in the club. I was that stupid, man. I put on my nightclub clothes and I go to Denny's. And I'm thinking, damn, they're going to all know that I should be out drinking. And nobody even noticed. I walked through the doors and I'm in there having breakfast and coffee. And, and I met a girl from Overeaters Anonymous and she talked to me until 1.30 in the morning. So I made it through Thursday sober. And then I got through my 90 days. Did I answer your question? You did. <laughs> Let's take a break. Well, Joe, thank you. Um, that was uh, that, that opening. Um, sharing your story is powerful. I want to shift us in a different direction a little bit. Um, I want to pretend for a moment. So I want to pretend that you're a superhero. <laughs> you lie. You're a superhero. Good Lord, okay. Yeah. So, you're a superhero. Oh, man. So here's my two questions for you. Lord. What's your superpower? <laughs> and what's your kryptonite? Oh man, God dog it. My first thought was I, I fart like crazy, man. <laughs> <laughs> I fart these noxious gases, man. <laughs> okay. 
That's my superpower, I guess. I don't know, man. That's not what you probably were hoping for, huh? Well, it's, it's a little bit. <laughs> I, fart, I fart these nasty, noxious odors and just knock people out, man. Or freeze time with it or <laughs> lay some, lay some <laughs> nuclear bomb turds. <laughs> okay. Well, maybe, maybe we'll call that your kryptonite. <laughs> maybe I misunderstood the question. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Maybe, you maybe, asked, maybe, man. First maybe. thought. They always tell me my first thought are like ninety six percent wrong. Yeah. <laughs> maybe that's your kryptonite. Let's, let's, we're, we're kind of looking for something uh, a little more positive. <laughs> oh man! You know what? I don't know what superpower I have. You, I'm guessing you're going somewhere with this. Yeah. Let's, you're going to have to take me by the hand on this. What superpower do you me, want me, me to have? That's okay. Let's, let's, <laughs> Maybe let's, I'm the chameleon. Okay, let's, let's, do, let's do this. Um, what's the single most important thing that you, you've learned about yourself? Uh, good in recovery and bad. Let's, let's do it that way. Um, well, I heard something in the first part of the question. What's the single most important thing that you learned okay, about yourself? That part. I can answer that. In being in recovery. Love. Love is the superpower. Okay. That is the superpower I would like to have. That answer, huh? Okay. Love would be my superpower. You're a loving person? Yeah. Yeah. I remember going to confession one time and I was confessing all my sins about lust. And I remember the priest said, he said, Oh, you're lucky. I don't know. What? He said, you're lucky. He said, that's a warm sin. Mm. I said, a warm you, sin. Yeah, as opposed to like one where you, lust is kind of leaning towards love more than, than like stealing, robbing, damaging people's destructively kind of thing. Lust is a warm sin is what he called it. I remember thinking, well, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. But I know that I can change lust into love. In fact, man, I got this crazy idea that, you know, there's triple X, right? Adult porn is XXX. I, I, I wouldn't know. But it would <laughs> yeah, all right, that's true, that's true. I forget, yeah. We <laughs> Just kidding. Anyway, go ahead. So triple X is porn. I thought, you know, I'm going to introduce quadruple X because addicts love stuff to be bigger, better, more of it. So if 3X is good, 4X has got to be better, right? So what's 4X? L-O-V-E, love. It's better than lust, L-U-S-T. Anyway, crazy thought. Crazy thought. Love is, my, love is, one, love is what I would like to have. Superpower. So that's your superpower. That in terms of you've learned that about yourself recovery. So that's the positive. So what's what's what have you learned? Uh, your faults. What 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 fault has been identified? And uh, and uh, as part of your being recovery. Oh man, fault is a big word. Um, what fault? There's, there's bunches of them. Go ahead. <laughs> you, there you go. Yeah. Uh, um, there go some ums. Um, fault. I mean, the, the biggest fault is that I'm, I am human, I'm mortal, and I'm imperfect. I just heard somebody today tell me that sin originally meant it was an archery term. Yeah. And it meant that you, missed were, you missed the target. Mm -hmm. That's all that a sin was. Today it's got all these big connotations of 
wickedness and evil and you've got your whole soul misaligned with the universe mm-hmm. or God and it didn't mean that mm-hmm. um, I'm human I can't I can't be I can't live in that superpower all the time I fail lust still pops up and rears its ugly head um, sloth the seven deadlies are still mm-hmm. running rampant in my life I don't like them but they all show up pride gluttony sloth anger vengeance deceitfulness that's that's not one of the seven deadlies but but for you what what what, what 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 in there is 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 is, is Joe but where's Joe what's Joe's my real, kryptonite yeah your kryptonite what <laughs> kryptonite, kryptonite makes your me fault weak. your your uh, selfishness greedy selfish self-centered self-seeking self-serving it's very hard for me to get out of a transactional situation with people. I still, somewhere back in the core of my being, am trying to get something most of the time. Even when I don't want to be that guy, and I don't want to be that guy. Love is generosity. Love gives without counting the cost or thinking of the consequences. Love is always interested in the other person. and I can't achieve that 24-7. I have moments of selfishness, and I still don't fully value and appreciate the other person for what they are. I sometimes can still objectify a person and reduce them from a human soul created in the image and likeness of God, the Creator, into a mere instrument for my pleasure and my own use. And that's the greatest, most heinous thing that a man can do to another human being, made in the image and likeness of God. What's the worst example of that? that of you, that? That, that, of you, for you, that you've, Any that you've committed? Lust, lust, uh, pornography, looking at a, a person or a group of persons who are performing this beautiful, intimate act reserved for people who cherish one another, treasure one another, and they're just flaunting it out there on videotape in exchange for some money. And I'm such a cheapskate, I'm on the free porn sites. I'm not even giving them money. And here I am using their art, their imagery, their actions for the sole purpose of giving me a cheap, fast, sorry orgasm. That's the single most worst thing that I do on the planet, I think. If, if God would relieve me of one thing, I would beg for that more than anything in the world is to be able to stop looking at people as though they were just objects for my enjoyment. They are not. They're my brothers and my sisters. They're his children. and It's rare. It's gotten a lot better when I can see that. Does it ever move? Does it escalate? Does it, has, it, has it caused you to be unfaithful? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I used to think that that was not infidelity. I used to think, this isn't sex. This is pixels on it on a screen. I'm not cheating. I'm masturbating. Get over it. <laughs> you know, I'd say that to my my now my now wife. I've remarried in, in recovery, and I would I couldn't understand the devastation it seemed to cause. It's like I'm not cheating on you. It's just an image. It's porn. It's not real. Or, or then I would feel like, yeah, it's, I shouldn't be doing it, but I, I'm sorry, I felt guilty and shame about what I was doing. It's caused all kinds of sh- 
problems in my life? Yes. Did I answer? Interesting you said the priest said that the love was a, what was it, a warm, warm He said that lust, lust. was a warm sin. Warm sin. <clears throat> and the worst thing is this, what did you say? Lust. This lust. Yeah, I heard the opposite of love is not hate, it's using someone, objectifying them reducing them to a mere means of enjoyment. So when I go back to the question I asked you in terms of just about your superpower and your kryptonite, these are, they seem to be the flip side of the same coin. No, do you, you get that? What I'm saying is love is a warm sin Lust. Lust, I'm sorry. Thank you. Love. Thank you. Lust is a warm sin. Love is a sin. No, lust, <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, my point is that you were saying it was a warm sin. Yeah. Your passion, which drives you, seems to drive you into destructive behavior, is also that which, that same kind of passion that you want to do good with is also I don't know the commonality is that they're people they're both it's both uh, a magnetic draw towards persons on the one hand lust is a misuse of the human person whereas love is the proper use of a it's not even a use it's the proper interaction with another human being is love love is the is the godly way. It's the God, uh, it's God's, uh, what do they call it? Uh, God is a, uh, uh, it's a trinity, it's a uh, community, it's a, uh, a society kind of, it's a, it's a love transaction. It's, uh, it's not selfish, it's always giving. Lust is opposite almost of that. It's using something. It's reducing this person an object of enjoyment. It's making a, a, an object that's objectifying them. It takes away their human, the humanness. The human is not an object. It's a, it is a person. There's a gigantic difference between an object, uh, a rubber doll or a rubber this or that or a bed that has no decision-making capabilities, no will, no dreams, no ability to create. It's nothing like God, it's made by God, but not in the image of God. A human is made in the image of God. It's, it's eternal, it's got an eternal soul, it's creative, it's uh, intelligent, it's capable of making moral choices. When I take that human being and reduce them to something that I'm going to just use as an object, it's a total destruction of God's will for that person. I, I don't know if I'm making any sense. That to me is why it's horrible. I guess the only reason lust might be warm is that it's at least you're drawn to another person. And I've, I've read that lust is the beginning of love. It can serve as the seeds for love. love lust is a visual attraction, mm -hmm. a dominating draw to that person. But if you can constrain it, restrain it, order it, it can be brought to fruition of love. I mean, most of us fall in love because we see something or someone that we're drawn to. If we just stay in that 
one attraction don't let it grow into love, then we've misused it. But it can be the it can be the beginning of love. Is what I heard. That lust can can work towards God's good. I mean, it's all a gift from God, right? We have this lust. It's not something we decided. Hey, I'm going to go find this thing, make it, stick it inside of me. We're born with mm-hmm. it. So it's it's good. It can be used for good. Is what I understood that to mean. So let's stay there. You got this love lust thing going on. This this is your thing, right? Okay. Okay. One of the reasons why I wanted to have this conversation with you is um, when we talked, when I met you, I said Joe's a badass. I want to talk to Joe. How can you take? this love lust thing you got going on and make to use it to make a difference in this world <laughs> it's a big old world probably can't <laughs> on your on your block what what can you do with Ooh, it's a big old block probably can't okay. <laughs> want to reduce it a little more <laughs> what in your in your neighborhood it's I'm, a big old I'm, neighborhood okay. probably can't do you want to make a difference you've been in recovery do you want to do you want to do something with with all that you've been through do you want to do you want to you want to do something with this that's of some value man those terms are too big for me okay I don't even know what value means when I start thinking about it Um, the best thing that I can do is wake up get on my knees and ask God what does he want okay I do that I'll be okay I don't need anything I don't want anything I don't need to make a difference I don't need to make a change uh, that's not my job or my role I, I'm a, I've got a finite mind and a record of messing things up I don't need to be cut loose on the world I wish I could I wish there was something that I had to give that meant something uh, that's way beyond the realm of my power, <laughs> superpower or not, man. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a big thing. You've been through a lot. I like what you're doing. Yeah, well, thank you. You've been through a lot. <laughs> you, as you, as you share with us. Yeah, I guess. What good can we make out? What good can can what good joke can you can you make of of all this? You, you think you've been through this for nothing? Uh, I don't know. I don't know, man. There's, it's when, I don't, when, you, when you're in the dark, you're in the dark. I don't care if there's light somewhere else, you're not in it. And if you're in the dark, it doesn't matter how many lights are shining, you're in the dark. So. Somebody out there that's dying right now in the dark, they're not going to listen to this. They don't want to hear what I've got to say. I didn't want to hear what anybody had to say. It was out there. You know, I didn't want it. I don't know that they're going to want it. Maybe someday when they decide it's time to go look for some stuff, maybe this stuff will be there. I would like to be there if they're looking, but I don't know how you do that. I'm, tr- I'm counting on you. Well, okay. <laughs> I know why I wanted to talk to you. Why did you want to talk to me? Why did you want to come in here and share this story? Oh, that's a good one. I'm excited about what I think you're doing. Could be wrong. I've been wrong most of my life. Uh, There's a good chance I'm wrong, but 
I thought I heard you saying that you were going to do some things with these uh, audio recordings and make it available to the people on the streets. And I was, I think I was hoping for the millennials, mm -hmm. the kids, the young ones that are out there. I don't know, maybe, so what maybe there's hope that what we've got to share might catch their interest and they might say, hey, that, that dude's saying something that I relate to. Maybe he's telling me the truth. Maybe I can listen. Maybe we've got something to give them. You know, I don't know if you can prevent chaos and, and misery. It's been going on for a long time. You know, man, Jesus Christ claimed to be God and he didn't stop it. That's 2,000 years ago. There's been all kinds of shit storms since then. It doesn't seem like that's the mission. The mission doesn't seem to be able to stop it, but I don't know. I was attracted to your concept of, you know what? We'll leave the front porch light on. If you want to find home, here it is. It sounded like that's kind of what you were doing. You're going to leave the porch light on for anybody that wants it. Is that and, right? And we are. And, trying to and, light the and, porch light. And you, in this conversation, as we bring it to a close, what do you want from all that you share? What do you want them to, what understanding, what insight, what, based on what you've learned, where you've been, what do you want, what do you want to say? <laughs> um, my PayPal account number is <laughs> seven seven five six. Man, you have to ask it again. Um, I guess if anything I've shared or said, talked about, describes where you might be and you want to get out of the shithole you think you might be in or don't want to go down the dirty road you're going down, there's a good chance that some of us are going to have those answers, right? Because uh, I'm not in that shithole anymore. I'm in a happy place. We didn't get to talk about that. I'm in a happy place. Happy guy full of life, love, joy, uh, starting some businesses on my, on my own. Uh, I'm walking in a miracle today. I'm walking in the light. It's not so dark no more. There's friends on the journey. I didn't know you could have, have that stuff. I didn't know you could trust people, man. I found people you can trust. You're one and, of them. They're, they're all over. And, and what, what switch got flipped? What made the difference? all that shit you've been talking about and sharing we thank you for that what flipped to get you where you are now uh, I can say his name uh, well Nick Nick was the saving grace in my life Nick was the man on the other side of the phone who answered when I called and I was in need Nick picked up the phone every time that I called and every time I called he had a solution every time I had a problem every time I had a need to go get drunk go act out to do anything stupid, I could call Nick. And then Nick became uh, Winfred. And then Winfred became uh, John. And then John became Tim. And the next thing you know, man, I'm surrounded by men and women that I can call 24-7 if I'm going through anything. And they bring light, love, joy, peace, happiness, serenity, and solutions into my life. And I've been introduced to this family that absolutely loves me. And it ain't, a, it ain't a game. It's not a, a bullshit game. It's not a show. Nobody's asked me for a penny. Nobody wants my money. Nobody uh, wants me to believe what they believe. Everybody has given me free, unconditional love, and that's what I wanted, and that's what I have today.
man, I love unconditional love. I love taking it in and giving it away. Fun stuff, good stuff. That's good. Yeah. Any final thoughts you want to share? That that I mean, and that's that was that was deep right there. I mean, so you know, I guess yeah, it, but it, if you're going through stuff, I don't know how they find us. Find us. Well, We're here, huh? But I'm, I'm, I want them to hear from you. What What do you want? What Anything you want to say about? It? Mm -hmm. No, I think that's it. Okay. Well, Joe, thank you. Thanks for coming thank in. Thank you. Okay. Thank mine. you for being the first on this uh, this uh, Wrecked America Badass interviews with the Hunter, and and uh, and uh, we look forward to talking to you some more. Me too. Good stuff, man. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very thank much. You. All right. Thank you.